0: Welcome to Notes from the Field, brought to you by Noeo Science.
1: Well, Gord, it's good to see you, brother. Good to see you. And, uh, you know, kind of a timely topic for us this week. I remember growing up in the Southeast, there's kind of a rule of thumb. As, uh, for walking, any... walking through the woods. Walking through the woods. When you walk through the woods in late summer, especially late, really, you could probably do this all summer and into the fall, um, because these critters are so prolific. Um, you, you either walk with your arm kind of out in front of you at a 90 Mm -hmm. with your elbow bent. If you kind of keep your hand, maybe, uh, two feet in front of you and maybe a foot above your head, or you walk with a stick in front of you. Right. To, (laughs) to do what? To do what? It's to get those webs out of your way so you don't have to eat them.
0: That's right. Getting smacked in the face with webs is no fun. In Virginia, see, I was doing box turtle research, and I would be walking through the woods, and that's exactly what I would do: is hold my hand up, especially if I was going between trees, where it was invariably sort of spider webs, strands going across, and sometimes you would walk full into an orb web, where it just would, you know, wrap, wrap you up, wrap you up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we're gonna. Talk about a silk, yeah, silk spinning
1: creatures, silk-spinning creatures today, and really kind of a remarkable,
0: it's idea. Once we get past the ick factor, yeah, you know, webs are icky. We see cobwebs in our home and we go icky, gross, and we, we clean them up. But we, you know, as biologists and as lay people, uh, considering the the complexity of creation, let's just step back. In the comforter of our, you know, once we've got the webs out of our hair and out of our face, ponder a spell on how magnificent these things are and what they are used for and how many different creatures actually use them. So and and it really is a, I'll let a you tangible,
1: go first. a tangible, visible example of the creature doing the engineering. Exactly. It's got this, it's got some tools it's using and it's got its raw material and it's building all kinds of amazing things with
0: that silk. You know, it always takes glands, okay? Um, We have sweat glands, we have wax glands, we have a a, a few glands in our body that secrete stuff, but these silk glands secrete uh, a protein that is liquid. I mean, it's in liquid form. And then when it's drawn out of its body, they, at first they thought it was air, contact with air mm-hmm. that caused it to solidify. But now they know, they don't fully understand the, the chemistry of it. But as it's pulled out, the proteins, it, the fibroin proteins will line up and hydrogen bond with each other. Ooh. And go from a liquid state to a sort of a stretchy solid. And that's just pretty marvelous. So it's not this air contact, which they used to think. It was this lining up the protein molecules and then having them hydrogen bond. I knew you were going to have an answer to that question. It's, It's pretty... Pretty amazing. Hydrogen bonds are just yeah.
1: you know one of the Lord's magical molecular yeah, tools. I mean they
0: hold so at the molecular world they they hold proteins in their three-dimensional structure and then they actually hook uh different proteins together. They hook DNA strands together. You know, it's they hydrogen allow, That's open. another that, that's another topic. But uh yeah, hydrogen bonds uh, take liquid silk and turn it into a, a solid when they're stretched very cool so, so the first my first uh,
1: thought when you suggested this topic i just thought what am i most familiar with and growing up you know the the one creature that stood out to me being an east coast guy back in the day home 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 country of virginia um the tent caterpillar okay the, the eastern tent caterpillar oh, yeah. this is kind of a we had a kind of a, a strange relationship with this creature and and probably many people do they're considered a bit of a pest. They're, right. They're a native species, and these little tent caterpillars—these uh, are these are the larvae of what become this moth species—and mm-hmm. they aggregate together. the The moths lay their eggs around a really kind of a pencil thin twig, and those eggs overwinter, mm-hmm. and then in the spring they hatch, and all these caterpillars, these larvae, they go through a couple of uh, stages of of um, removing that exoskeleton a molting, uh, the yep. molting process for a few stages they, and then they start to eat leaves like mad and then they start to uh, draw out this silk and they make these little tents right uh, in the crotches of trees a lot of fruit trees especially which is yeah, a bit thin, of a pain thin
0: crotches like s- small small branches where they form this tent
1: yeah, And, you often see them when you're driving along a dirt road or side of the trail and these tents, they they tend to also eat a lot of the leaves around where their tent is, and that's where they reside right. during the day. Yeah, I they mean, get, they wh- stay in wh- what's there. What's that tent for? That tent is really primarily to keep them
0: safe from mm-hmm. weather. It's from from uh, protection from the elements. And how about does it protect them from predators? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, either. I, I, I mean, it I seems would assume like, that a big bird would key in them.
1: on that tent and maybe try to tear it apart and eat something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but it it I haven't be. seen that happening. Um, but these tents. Um, you know, they're often torn down or pulled out of the trees. A lot of folks will even set them on fire, Mm -hmm. just burn those tents because they're kind of pesky and and Mm -hmm. they're a bit of an eyesore. Yeah.
0: They don't look really great. They're really Um, cool though. But yeah, they, they, and the silk glands are up in the caterpillars mouth region.
1: Yeah. So, uh, when, in doing a little homework here, apparently they're in either in place of, or in addition to. Uh, where usually salivary glands would be found,
0: mm-hmm. and so and a lot of cat, caterp- not every caterpillar does this, but you know, because sometimes when they molt into a pupa, they'll just be a naked pupa called a chrysalis. But then uh, certain moths, a, a lot of moths will actually spin, and you know, tent caterpillars will use it as as a tent even while they're in their feeding larval stages but once they molt into a pupa before they molt into a pupa they have to spin a nice little cocoon which is made of silk yep and then once they've got their mummy bag made then <laughs> then they can molt into a pupa and they peel off their last caterpillar skin and then pupate inside the cocoon sometimes there's a cocoon with a pupa in it and then butterflies often will just be naked But even in butterflies, you'll see this nice little uh, silken belt that sort of tethers them to the twig. Hmm. You see that on some, one end of the chrysalis is on the twig and then the rest is sort of hanging out and it looks like a a lineman belt. You know, those linemen when they're up on a telephone pole, that belt that goes around the telephone pole and around their waist, or at least in the old days that's, that soaking thread holds that chrysalis, you know, away from the uh, twig. Anyway, just a lot of uses. One of my favorite, more bizarre, we can, I'll end with the most typical, which is the, the spider web. But one of the coolest, uh, insects is called the web spinner and it's in the order Embioptera. And what's amazing about these, these are tropical insects Hmm. that form these these silken tents, but more over the surface of the base of a tree. Hmm. Okay. So you've got this. And how do they make it? Well, they don't have the silk glands in their mouth. They have silk glands in their front legs. And each front leg's got about 150 spigots. And when they dispense the silk, it comes out like cotton candy. And they basically just move their, their front legs back and forth and, uh, form this nice gauzy web Mm -hmm. that just forms this almost a fabric Hmm. that really looks like cotton candy, um, but thin and waterproof. And they just live, I mean, it's a small space, but they live under that tent. And so it can be raining heavily in the tropics, but I mean, they're, they're dry. Wow inside that tent it's just completely waterproof but they can actually i mean it's so dry that they have to literally bite a hole bite a hole through the tent where there's a water droplet say on the outside and then they will basically suck up that water droplet through the hole wow just to get a drink but that's impressive but then they have to seal up the hole that's better than most tent fly, rain flies for your yeah, tent. Yeah, once the whole, they yeah, now they have to patch the hole, but that's okay because they've got these like 150 silk glands in both legs, front legs, and then they just kind of rub their legs over it and form a nice little uh,
1: patch. I'm envisioning someone with a, one of those paint sprayers, industrial
0: style, you know, commercial painters use. Yeah, but instead of paint, it's just this it's nice little gauzy silk. fabric. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it's great. These that are,
1: creature, uh, what, what, what creature is that again? Called the web, web spinner. Yeah, that reminds me. is the Embiapter. Okay, and you'll you'll have some taxonomic thoughts on this one. This next one that I discovered here just recently called the dance fly. Mm. It just sounds uh, sounds similar, and according to the taxonomic folks, it's in a family, Empididity. Yeah, uh, uh, m- Empididity. Excuse
0: me, Empididity. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
1: Which, which, now, which I was is just interesting. Looking
0: at, I, funny you should say that because I was just looking at uh, one of my pinned ampidids Ooh, yesterday neat. under the, no, a couple of days ago under micro, my microscope at home. But anyway, tell that me would more take about some the dance fly. Very meticulous pinning work.
1: They're pretty small creatures. So yeah, this is a, pretty, yeah, is a fly.
0: Yeah. Dance fly
1: impidity. I was struck by the name because it reminded me of the impidinax flycatchers. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's, since they're flycatchers. Kind of a similar etymology there, but these dance flies. I'm going to be talking about one in particular called it's a European species called Hylara mara, and it has a similar uh, location for its silk glands on it on its forelegs, uh, its front its front two legs, and the males uh, primarily have these uh, silk glands and they use them to wrap up presents to court the female. In- hmm. Impeded, impeded, And so um, they will be seen carrying these small gift-wrapped packages, of right. uh, uh, gift-wrapped in silk, to females. And then as soon as that contact is made, the transfer of those goods go to the female. The male flips up on top. And then uh, the act of sexual reproduction starts right there. Okay. And so that's a kind of their courtship ritual uh they're they're actually referred to by some people as nuptial balloons
0: nuptial balloons
1: wrapped in a little bit of silk. wrapped in silk and so I'm going to read a little tiny bit here from a, a fantastic article from the Proceedings of the Royal society nineteen twenty eight uh by Albert Ham and Ham was observing these creatures and he's just i'm not going to read the whole article but there's there's one part I really want to to capture here um because Someone watched him during his work, and it was just kind of fun to, to read that bit. So, he's talking about observing these over a creek. They tend to like water bodies and they fly in massive swarms. And uh, the males will grab anything off the surface of the water, anything that's small enough. And he was experimenting and found that they tend to really like daisy florets, mm-hmm. uh, the little white petals of the regular oxeye daisy. They also like stamens from buttercups, ranunculus species. Um, and so just a little bit of a a reading here for you guys. Uh, the majority of the floating insects probably fall onto the water by accident or are blown from the overhanging vegetation. And many of them are alive when captured. The objects seized, these are objects seized by the male dance flies. the objects seized evidently by means of a rolling motion gradually enveloped in fine silken threads, the whole mass eventually assuming a more or less spherical shape. When the object is very minute, it is enclosed loosely in a relatively large silken structure, which may assume one of many beautiful forms, and being brilliantly white, is quite conspicuous as it is carried in flight by the males or by the paired females. Some of these balloons are empty, but it is possible that the stimulus to spin was provided by some small object picked up but subsequently lost. The balloons, dropped on the water, either accidentally or when coitus, which is the act of Engaging in reproduction has come to an end and are readily picked up and used over again by other males. Extensive experiments made over a number of years have enabled me to estimate the time required to construct the silken covering and to perform the other actions which are the necessary antecedents of coitus. It was found possible to stimulate the males at will by strewing on the surface of the water large quantities of both animal and vegetable matter, living and dead buttercup stamens, ray florets of the common daisy, aphids, small gnats, and even partially disabled males of H. Mara itself. Mm. All such objects were picked up with avidity, but after many trials, the daisy florets were found to be the most suitable. They floated easily on the surface film, were picked up without difficulty, and being white were easy to follow when carried by the flying hilara. Mm -hmm. The conspicuousness of the florets and the comparative invisibility of the males bearing them may be inferred from the remark of a little girl standing by the stream while i was experimenting come and see the man who can make petals fly
0: okay huh so the fly is not very conspicuous now does the female once he gives it i mean what does she do with it does she ignore it does she unwrap it does she look at what's inside in this short article he doesn't go into
1: that. He mm-hmm. does indicate that many are dropped, and that seems to be highly likely. He did observe some just, just dropped in after captivity. Their gift. Yeah, you know. Yeah, after it's like
0: a f- just the. A- it was just a thought the, that counted. The thought that counted right. she no, didn't take it, it home care. to mom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what's inside it. I he just, gave um, me a he gave me a silk package. That's all. I don't I care just, what's inside. I it. just I just
1: love how that ends. With, yeah. uh, I can just envision this little girl yeah. watching him uh there at the at the creek's edge, watching those little petals. He's right. you know, he's he's facilitating the mating of these uh mm-hmm. of these dance flies.
0: Anyway, yeah, that kind of a fun just, story. Uh, yeah. What's, uh, wanted to talk about sort of the typical orb web because they're so common in our everyday. Sometimes we see it in all of its beauty without running into it. So we go, oh, that's pretty marvelous. But when, because of its, because of how common it is, it's easy to just overlook it as, oh, well, that's just a spider web. But if we look at actually how it's made or if you've seen a nature documentary where you see a time-lapse photo it's just marvelous the spider has got up to there's lots of spiders over 40,000 species and uh the orb web is orb web spiders is one family but they um they've got several glands up to seven different glands of silk that wow. that make different diameter Silk, some more stretchy than others, some thinner than others, and each one's got its own function. So, does the orb describe the spider or the type of web? The web. The web is sort of orb-like, okay. so that's why they call it the orb. Okay. Uh, orb spiders, orb weavers, and they sur- first make sort of a a Y-shaped scaffold. They they have to first have some lines attached to some twigs or vegetation to make this y-shaped scaffolding and then they uh, use this pretty strong thread to form the frame and this y and then that y forms the first radial the middle of the y is sort of going to be the middle of that orb web and then uh, from that general scaffolding they'll they'll run radial webs to form spokes okay you know spokes and then they'll also form a hub, which is near the center of that orb, which um, and, and that's the starting point. Then they'll form an auxiliary web, which is starting from the center. They'll weave an auxiliary web, which is more of a scaffolding, and a series of guidelines that will serve literally as guidelines for the sticky spiral. So they spin this auxiliary web first from the center and then out, moving out. And then starting from the outer, uh, frame, they will spin the sticky spiral and they're much more closely spaced. And these are, you know, concentric rings, but that thread is going to be finer and it's going to be coated with a stickum. and. As they're putting in the sticky spiral, starting from the out and then spiraling in, they will take down the uh, um auxiliary and eat so it. they put their template the in template there. down first and they eat as a it. guide wow. eat it as they work their way in on the sticky spiral. they'll twang the sticky because the coating is kind of uniform, but then when they twang it, all of the stickum sort of beads up into small beads and What's amazing about the coordination, here they are just eight-legged ballerinas walking on all the, the radio webs and the hub, which is all non-sticky. The radials and the hub, uh, as well as the frame, it's all non-sticky. And then the sticky spiral. When the sticky spirals for prey capture, yeah. not for walking on because right. they don't want to get their legs gummed up. They'll sometimes make a free zone, uh, which is a small gap between the hub, hub, just think center, hub cap. Okay. Uh, between the hub and the sticky spiral, there's usually a gap so that they can sneak through and switch sides. Okay. So that if the, other the, side. if the prey gets stuck on the sticky spiral uh, on one side, they can switch sides real quick. And But wherever they're sitting, waiting for prey to land, you know, they've got their legs touching these radial webs so that when the prey hits there there there's a stretch and they know which lines basically which lines stretched and which way to go wow and it's just i'm only just covering the basic bare bones of this the coordination and switching silk glands knowing which silk glands to use for which part of the web and then it may take an hour to build this amazing web. It may run out like 60 meters of 60 yards or meters can be used in making the entire web. And it takes them an hour. about an hour. Wow. They may even, some spiders take it down completely after use of one day and build a new one the ne- for for the next day.
1: They take it all down. Take it all
0: down. I'm not all of them, but sometimes they'll <laughs> they'll use them for leave, several days. Leave no trace, spiders. but I mean, yeah, they, they'll build a new one the next day uh, or for the next day, and so we can marvel at this incredible uh, web design. Actually, if you want to know more, if, if that was fascinating to you, you can go to the answers and Ge- answers magazine website i wrote a uh, article on the ultimate web designer nice and that goes web, the goes webmaster in, so, yeah and <laughs> so goes into all of that cool um, that's but that's just wow. that's just uh that's just one family so many there's funnel web spiders like the hobos and the, that form little funnels down in the basement and than the trapdoor spiders. Just so many different uses of the silk. That's really neat. I did a, a, a bit of homework
1: on the on the silkworm. Oh, yeah. Bombix. Yeah. so Bombix mori. Yes. Which is the domesticated silkworm, as distinguished from the, the mulberry silkworm, which is kind of the original wild species, Bombix mandarina, uh, native to... Uh, China, India, Korea, Japan, uh, kind of that South and Southeast Asia mm-hmm. part of the world. And uh, learned a tremendous amount about this creature. One of the one of the things that was really amazing to me is this has been, the Chinese invented so many incredible technologies. Um, and this is uh, thought to have been um, uh, the domestication of silkworms at least several thousand years. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this has been in operation. Uh, and so, you know, just reading about Bombix, this little... This little uh, caterpillar, the silkworm, which now the domesticated uh, bombyx, and there's some fantastic YouTube videos out there. And one of my favorite was by Vox. They do a little silkworm, how silk is made. One, mm-hmm. and uh, these caterpillars are are pale white. They've lost their pigments as part of the domestication process. Their pigments uh, were kind of selected against mm-hmm. in that process. They don't really serve them. They don't serve any camouflage yeah. purpose anymore because they're comp- they've become completely dependent, really, on right, these, on these on silk us. farmers.
0: Yeah, um, they've also lost their how ability about, to fly. Wow! And so, how about the uh, adults? Do the adults have the patterns in the wings, or are they like the larvae, which is uh, the, the the the
1: adult the adults moth. aren't completely white. They have some brownish on them, so they haven't completely lost all pigment. Right, but they have they have lost the ability to fly, um, and so. Mm. Uh, these, these creatures are, have been gathered, uh, and eggs, uh, are hatched. They take about two weeks to hatch. And then these, uh, these silkworms, uh, start to eat mulberry leaves. And so mulberry leaves are, their traditional and, uh, it seems to be the, their favorite food source. You can actually set up a little, a silk, uh, worm project at home if you wanted to by ordering some silkworms and getting some mulberry leaves. They have trouble establishing in the wild. So it's kind of a. A relatively safe type of activity mm-hmm. if you're worried about introducing another species out there. Um, but these creatures, uh, they, they build silk cocoons, and that silk cocoon is what we're after. Right. And so after the, after the cocoons have been spun, uh, this larva again molts several times and then eventually builds a silk cocoon. And it's going to uh, it, it form a pupa, um, but the silk harvesters go ahead and boil all those cocoons before it hatches. Uh, before mm-hmm. that creature is able to molten. Uh, yeah, to, it would, and
0: before it emerges, before it emerges,
1: right, it would damage the cocoon with some enzymes, and so they 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 boil them or steam them uh, beforehand, and then they pop those uh, pupa out, and they're actually um, often sold as a snack uh, in all, in all kinds of different recipes. People use them uh, in dishes, and okay. so those silk cocoons are boiled, and then they're eventually. That single strand, it's about forty micrometers across, wow. and it's up to a thousand feet long. Wow! And that's so it's one strand that's all one wo- long strand oh. that's woven together. Right. Um, and again, this is through the use of these spinnerets uh, with these uh, these uh, silk out of their, mo- out of the their mouths. Mouth. Yeah. So they have two spinnerets, but uh, they're close in proximity to one another, mm-hmm. and the silk comes out as one single uh, thread. Single
0: thre- where, as opposed to the spider, where all the spinnerets are down at the tip of the abdomen, so yeah. you know, silk is coming out of uh, insect larvae in the mouth and at the end of the abdomen in spiders. Yeah, in- wow, interesting that's great. difference. And so there. they un- we- they unwind this thread and then spool what spool it up. They into- unwind this thread and spool it up. And do they uh, combine they, the threads to make what we use for the the silk textiles? Yeah, they have the... a couple
1: of different types of machines that'll sort the thread into into finer or coarser sized um wow. threads and they'll spool spool up the silk. And I think some number of a billion cocoons uh, gives you about a pound of silk.
0: <laughs> Not a billion. Well, I
1: I, really? I may, maybe may well I'll I'll find wow. the I'll find I'll read wow. that again. I, yeah. I read that a couple times, and I, I believe that's what it said. Wow. I could, I could be wrong. Um, but this is an amazing creature, uh, the Bombix mori, the, the silkworm caterpillar. Uh, this is a model organism. Uh, it's one of those creatures that we've studied so much. Right. And it lends itself. It reproduces well in the lab. It reproduces well uh, in a lot of different situations. Um, And it's relatively docile. And so we've done a lot of research on this creature as well. It's
0: completely domesticated. It's completely domesticated. We've got all of its, you know, its favorite food, how to rear it. And then, of course, a lot of them get boiled, but I guess they keep some for breeding purposes.
1: Yeah, breeding and research.
0: Uh, uh, Linnaeus
1: named them and Robert Hooke observed them and uh, drew a picture of them that went in his Micrographia, Micrographia,
0: yeah, and uh, apparently the first back in the 1600s, yeah, yeah.
1: 1665, uh, the first pheromone that was chemically described is a pheromone from the silkworm, yeah, yeah. silkworm caterpillar,
0: yeah. yeah. I know creature. in entomology we we did several had to do some papers on bombics more. I just learned a lot about the physiology, especially about the. Oh, I can't re I can't remember it's been so long. But yeah, we've read as uh, entomology grad students we cool. would read we read uh some papers on Bombix mori on the the hormones and the endocrinology and the molting process and metamorphosis and
1: yeah, these fer- so pheromone being an ecto hormone a, a hormone that's released out into the environment right. often to attract mates. And I found that quote, and you, were, you caught me. I was incorrect when I stated a billion cocoons. And here's where I got screwed up. About 2,000 to 3,000 cocoons are required to make one pound of silk. At least 70 million pounds of raw silk are produced each year, requiring 10 billion cocoons. I see. Yeah, so about wow. three two, two to 3,000 for a pound of silk. Two to 3,000. I never knew that it was the cocoon. I didn't know they were harvesting cocoons, Yeah, which is pretty neat. And then they're popping those boiled gems right down the gullet. Mm -hmm. Keep yourself fueled while you're farming the silkworms.
0: Another cool uh, silk producer is the uh, lacewing. Oh, Um, I didn't realize that. Yeah. uh, The case of the lacewing, I don't know if you've seen these green lacewings running around your porch lights. They've got these really cool wings. That's why they're called lace wings. And they're maybe a little over an inch long. They've got often gold eyes and slender antennae and pretty wings. When the female's trying to lay eggs, it's walking around on vegetation and it'll dab its abdomen down on the vegetation and then put a little dab of silk and then pull, and you'll see this liquid silk turn solid. And it stretches a little thread out, very short threaded on the, well, not super short. And then at the end of the thread is a egg perched. So instead of laying the egg directly on the vegetation where ants and other marauding insects can come along and, you know, devour the eggs, they pull out a little bit of silk and perch their egg on top of it. So And it kind of dangles? Well, it can be actually either upside or actually sticking straight up on the stem wow and so as ants are patrolling looking for something to eat they'll they'll walk right under these eggs that are like on the ends of these little poles vertical poles going up or wherever which way they're sticking and the ants just won't see them wow because they're Clever. Looking, they're yeah it's it's pretty neat and then once the uh larvae hatch, these are lace wing um larvae, they're little predators that will come out of the egg and drop down onto the twig and and then look for various uh scale insects or aphids to eat so Very that's cool. another use of silk yeah it's uh it it is an amazing uh material, and surprisingly in a lot of different groups coming from a number of glands. Probably the last last insect that has silk, it's noticed this on an Attenborough um, documentary, it's the fungus gnats in New Zealand, where in caves in New Zealand, these fungus gnats, Mycetophilidae, will sling little mucus tubes across the ceiling of the caves. Mm. And the larvae basically, uh, slither through these these mucus tubes, but the mucus tubes, in order to be on the ceiling, they're slung from the ceiling by silk that these larvae produce, and then coming down from these uh, mucus tubes that they're moving around in, they they spin a a dangling thread of silk up to a meter long. But as they're working that silk thread out of their mouth, sort of regurgitating, it looks like they're they are spinning this dangling piece of silk out of their mouth, but every bit of space they'll burp up a little glob of glue and so when you look at this strand, you've got this the silken strand interrupted with lots of little glue beads, okay, and they're just dangling there. you go what and it's actually forming these curtains dangling from the ceiling, lots of threads dangling down and a whole network of those mucus tubes and the fungus gnats living in those tubes. And the water in the cave might have mayflies that crawl out when they're emerging from their nymph stage and they're, they come out of the water, they molt, and then they fly up and they're in the cave. The the fungus gnat larvae also produce a glow, they have a glow organ in their abdomen, kind of like a firefly. And so just like insects, they have this proclivity to fly towards light. Mm-hmm. The glow worms will be up there on the ceiling, making this pretty, you know, starlight pattern up there. And the the mayflies will sort of instinctively fly toward the light. And as they're flying to the light, they just run into this curtain of gluey silk curtain, these gluey silk curtains hanging down. Wow. And they blunder into them and stick on the glue of these silken strands. And then the, um, the larvae go to where they've caught something and they haul it up and eat it. Are they the larva of the fungus? The larva of the fungus gnats. So the glowworms are helping,
1: quote unquote, the fungus gnats. The glowworms are the f- oh, so that the, the larvae garvar- are the glowing.
0: The glowing, the, the, lar- the gotcha. glow, gotcha. the glowworms are the fungus gnat larvae. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Oh, it's that pretty, is neat. Yeah, it's it's a n- New Zealand natural history wonder that you know if you if you're a biologist and you go to New Zealand, that's uh some that you should go see. Very cool. Yeah. The last uh, the last one I have.
1: I uh, I had another one too, but maybe another time to talk about that. Uh, creature but uh, maybe just a short one to finish here Uh, one that i remember seeing the last couple summers or early falls laying outside in the grass or laying on the trampoline and all of a sudden i would see these little bits of silk flying above me Mm. and a couple times noticed that there were there seemed to be an event going on i would Mm -hmm. not just see one but i would see multiple it's kind of like you know you see more than one more than one shooting star you know it's a, a meteor shower I was seeing a, a shower of these little bits of silk pass overhead, and these were most likely spiderlings that mm-hmm. had hatched, and they were they were ballooning their way right. uh, to their new to their new habitat. They were they were colonized, and they were leaving home just like in in yeah. E. B. White's Charlotte's, Charlotte's Web. Right, um, they were they uh, um, e- extrude a little a little piece of silk. And then it catches the breeze and and casts them off, maybe yeah. a couple meters away from home, maybe even kilometers. Yeah, um, there have even been fo- uh, Charles Darwin <clears throat> reported uh, observing these uh, spiderlings out in the middle of the of the and Pacific cr-
0: and, and landing on the HMS Beagle. Yeah, you know? landing on the on the on the ship itself. Yeah, they crawl up the spiderlings just instinctively crawl up these um, plants, and just a little breeze will send them. Send them sailing. It's a uh, just a a really neat way to get around. Since spiders don't have wings, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, this- uh, and actually, one of our our uh, favorite theologians, uh, Jonathan Edwards, wrote about ballooning behavior. In okay, spiders. yeah. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. So he had a little bit of a, a naturalist in him. I don't know what else he wrote, but he definitely wrote a little bit about ballooning, and. Um, not just sinners in the hands of an angry God. <laughs> no, it's amazing the number of insects that
1: that make and use silk for various purposes, um, and, and it's a remarkable
0: substance. It is just incredibly strong uh, substance, it's, and can stretch to twice its length, and apparently stronger than steel for its for the same thickness.
1: Yeah, it's tensile. It's tensile strength.
0: Yeah, that's cool.
1: Well, fun, fun yeah. talking about learning more about uh, silk spinners yeah. today. It's great. Yeah, thanks, Gordon. All right, we'll see you. We'll, we'll see you next time.
0: This episode has been brought to you by New Saint Andrews College. Tyrants know education is warfare, and so should we. If you want your student armed for battle and equipped to fight tyranny, apply at nsa.edu/fall2022. That's nsa.edu/fall2022.